BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. So we've got a huge event over at One Championship. That's coming up this weekend, and later in the show, I'm going to preview the event and tell you the biggest storylines to look out for. But before that, I'm still buzzing from this past weekend's UFC London card and the headliner of that event, as well as Patty the Batty, who's drawn a lot of comparisons to another legendary European fighter. Brendan Schaub, amongst others in all fairness, have been weighing in on the comparison of Patty the Batty to Conor McGregor, and Brendan Schaub simply said, I don't think you can make a comparison to Patty and Conor McGregor. Thank you. Where is that coming from? How did this ever get going? It seems to me as though anybody who's interesting to listen to and somewhat clever that also brings an accent to the table, instantly gets compared to Conor McGregor, because Patty's not the first. There's been a pretty good handful of people from that side of the world that are good with rhetorical skills that instantly get compared. They're going to be the next Conor McGregor. It seems like a big claim, and I'm not, I'm not seeing how we're getting made. I mean, do you know what you would have to do to be the next Conor McGregor? If Conor McGregor was to never win again, he will go down as one of the greatest to have ever done it. If Conor McGregor continues to fight but never wins again, he will go down as one of the greatest to have ever done it. He is a three-time champion. He has won so many world championships that he forgot. Conor insists that he is the champ champ. I was there when he beat Chad Mendez to win the interim, the 45 and the 55. He says he's won two. He's won three. Could you imagine the kind of success that you would have to have to go and trademark something about yourself that turns out to not even be as glamorous with what you've actually achieved? Conor McGregor switched sports to take on the greatest ever in boxing, of which Conor McGregor never did. Conor did so well that people instantly started to go, well, no, boxing's a big part of MMA, and those MMA guys are training every single day, but you couldn't find me another MMA guy that trains with the boxing or something that went and did well in another sport. You can't bring me an MMA guy that ever took a summer off and went and made an Olympic team. You cannot ever bring me an MMA guy who took a weekend off and went and won uh, the National Wrestling Championship or even an amateur Golden Gloves Championship or made a world team in judo. It has never been done by any other athlete because it can't be done. But to take away from Conor McGregor, which is well, something that Conor does every day. It's one faucet of it and it, it, it's not. It's not true. It's a completely other sport, and he went into it. And I only bring that to you because I think we do forget at times just how goddamn good Conor McGregor was. 
Now, in addition to the fact that Connor could entertain us, he could put on a cool outfit, he could put on the cool sunglasses, he could bring attention just because he was very good with that stuff. Don't ever mistake that with the skills, not only that he had, that he proved in multiple different weight classes. So I'm just asking, are you sure you want to compare somebody to Conor McGregor? And if you do, don't you want to be a little bit more specific and just say, this guy is as fun as Conor. This guy is as multi-talented. This guy will make you laugh as much as. When do you have to say something like that? I mean, to put those kind of skills is absolutely a remarkable thing. For a guy that was fighting on Cage Warriors and is now given his opportunity in the big time, and let's not forget... Connor's marketing approach from Jump Street was anyone, anywhere, anytime. Connor was then called on that. As a matter of fact, he got called on it the very first time when Jose Aldo put out an exact opposite style known as Chad Mendes put in. Connor was woken up from a nap, said yes, put the phone down, and went back to his nap. That's the way that the story goes, and I don't have any reason to refute it. But that is an attitude, and that is a mindset. Make no mistake. There are not very many people like that, but that's also the opposite mindset and attitude as Patty has. Now, I am not putting Patty down here. I am pointing out for you the obvious just so that we'd all, we all don't get lost during the timeline. Patty said, I will not fight the best guys. Not anyone, anyone, anytime, anywhere. No, no, no. None of those things. Don't bring me anybody in the top 15. As a matter, not just for my last opponent or for my next opponent. Don't ever bring me an opponent that's got a ranking while I'm under the current contract that I have now, and we don't have the details of that contract. Is that a three-fight contract? We just got to do one more, then we can move Patty up in competition? Does Patty have a five-fight contract? It's going to be all the way to 2023 till we can move Patty up in competition. It's never been done before. I hate that attitude, but I'm not ready to put it down yet because I don't have anything historically pointing to somebody who's done this particularly publicly. All the guys do it. They just don't do it publicly. Every one of your heroes in the tough guy business are secretly a bunch of cowards. They all say no, or they have their managers say no, or they, they do what's called pricing yourself out of the market. Well, I'll do it, but then the butt comes and it's something so unrealistic. Either All of your heroes are cowards, just so you know. The biggest group of fake tough guys I've ever been around are with the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Okay, but Patty's admitting it. If you admit it, now you're doing something different. Now you're not just negotiating. Negotiating is done privately. When you start to admit it, you're now marketing. It's very different. I've never seen it done. But I just saw Patty fight four days ago in front of a sold-out arena, singing and chanting and cheering for Patty. It's working. Who the hell would have ever predicted that would work? But it is. So again, I'm not putting Patty down. I'm just telling the story with the facts that we have, and I'm still searching for anything that has to do with Patty and Connor intersecting other than they're both interesting guys that bring an accent who are pretty good on a microphone. Now, time will tell. If you think that Patty is dynamic, if you think he's going to be a world champion, I had somebody tweet me yesterday, and I was going to tweet Dumb Dumb back. I just couldn't bring myself to push send. But Dumb Dumb on Twitter said, Patty eventually will be the champion of a division. Why? 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 Do you see a potential there? Are you saying that he's got some levels of skills that hasn't yet been recognized, it hasn't been, been tested, but what you have seen could take you to the top? Or do you think he's not quite ready? Why eventually? What do you mean eventually, someday he'll be the champion? Very few guys do really good and show a potential and continue to use it. 
The story in sports, the guy that makes all the front pages in high school and, and is burned out by college, the guy that's up for the Heisman in college and gets one or two seasons in the NFL is done. That is much more common than a guy that was unknown, that never reached his goals, that was still hungry and still thriving and still doing everything right. Because don't forget, whether it's sports or life, nobody's better than you. You're going to meet people in business. Guy's got a whole bunch of money or he's got the corner office. You're going to think he's better than me. Nobody's better than you. There's just some people that are further than you. They got started faster or they got to where they are a little bit quicker. Your time just hasn't come. But I see people in sports, something goes well. They read their own headline. They think that's where they're at. And they take their eye off the ball. I could go through my own team of Team Quest, one of the most coveted gyms in history that doesn't exist anymore. And it's not because the people passed away, God bless my teammates. It's because they got so many headlines and so much attention and they thought they had it all figured out. They were no longer hungry. They thought that they had made it. And if my teammates were here, they would tell you that same thing. I did not keep making as many practices. As soon as I got signed to the organization, I did less, not more. As soon as I made a made event, I did less, I, uh, not more. As soon as I got a ranking, I did less, not more. So are you seeing something beautiful and hungry out of Patty? Is that why you're making the comparison? Or you just assume that he's going the right time and over enough time? Because that's a, that's a sucker's move. Eventually, some of the great coaches in the world, just to counter that, because it's a p- very positive and a very powerful thing from a psychological standpoint. Let's say you're in college. Go back to that. You get a field of guys together, and of all the freshmen, you happen to be a freshman. Of all the freshmen, you outplaced everybody else. So you're showing a real potential. You can go with the juniors. You can go to the seniors. And going into your sophomore year, some of them graduate, and you're going to move up. Most of the time, those guys don't make it. They think they've figured it out. Meanwhile, they have a guy in their same class, also a freshman, who did not do the best, but that saw what the best did, buckled down, put his work in, and was hungry to get his name out there. I know coaches, Tom Brands, specifically University of Iowa. This is a world and Olympic champion. And he came up to one of his athletes in the Olympic year. The athlete was named Dan Dennis. And he told Dan, you're done after this year. And Dan was a young guy. So why would I be done after this year? He said, I'm not letting you wrestle. You're done. This is it. You will never wrestle again. I will personally stop you. Dan's going, but I'm young. I'm healthy. Why would this be it? Tom didn't tell him. But if Tom says it, he has the level of respect over his athletes. In this case, Dennis, you're done. What Tom was trying to invoke in Dennis was urgency. There is no tomorrow. There is no more time. There is no eventually. It's right now. Figure it out. You got one more crack at it. Now, Tom did not mean that. He was not being sincere. But Dan Dennis made the Olympic team, reached his goals, and did retire happily on his own because it's got to be now. There's no, there's no time. There's no tomorrow. There's no eventually. There's no on t- You're on top of the guys your age. You just need these guys to go on and retire, and now you're still under top. Absolutely not. I know certain college programs that won't recruit a state champion. Tom Brands would be an example, and his brother. They were recruited by the legendary Dan Gable. Neither one of them were state champions, and Gable didn't want them. Gable didn't want champions. He wanted these two because they had not yet reached their goals. They were still hungry, and there was no state championship in college. The only championship you could win was the NCAA, which between the, f- the two of them, between the two non-full scholarship, non-state champion brothers, they won five. They won two Olympic medals. They won three world championships. I'm just sharing with you. Why would you think to the person on Twitter that eventually somebody's going to be a champion? Because you could be right. If you said that about everybody, of course, e- even a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. 
Well, what evidence are you bringing? And where are the comparisons to Patty and Connor? And if you think that you're serving Patty by comparing him to Connor, you're not. You're knocking him down. I have never seen Hosma Chemayev, one of the smartest guys in the media, surpassed by no. It'd be it, Chemayev's right there, Strickland's right there, Blahal Muhammad for who has done the best in the shortest period of time. The rise of those three athletes for where they were 12 months ago to today, nobody is even close to the bounce that they've gotten. I've never seen Chemayev screw up except for once. He called himself Khabib 2.0. He quickly has stopped doing that, but he was trying to show respect. He was trying to show honor, not only to the region, but to Khabib himself. Somebody grabbed him and said, you can never go as far as you can go. If you're comparing yourself to anybody else, even the great Khabib. And it's very true. And Shemayev stopped doing it. And Shemayev stopped doing it. It's a hard stop. At one point, he even challenged Khabib. Now, that was a little bit too far. He overcorrected and he challenged Khabib. No, don't do that. Keep the comparisons. Let us make it. But make sure that you still have your own top, your own places that you can reach. So you're not serving Patty by calling him Connor. You're now putting him into a category. If you believe in Patty and you want to back Patty, how about going to him and say, hey, let's prove it. I'm telling everybody how good you are. Let's rethink this no top 15 guys. As a matter of fact, let's break into the top 15 so that at the point that your contract expired, you can come in and use that in your favor. If you're completely undefeated over hand-picked opponents as a goal of getting a bigger contract, the organization just turns that back to you. We don't know how good you are because you haven't proven it. We gave you an opportunity to and you didn't. Other guys, we gave the same opportunity and they didn't. We got to give them the money. It's tough. May not be the way that negotiation goes, but why even why even arm the other side? Now that's Patty's business, and he's got people believing in him. But I tend to uh, Brendan here, which I don't see the compare. What is it that we're comparing? And I'm challenging you. Can they both get your attention at a weigh-in? Can they both make you watch a press conference that normally you would have fast-forwarded through? Is that the only comparison? It would seem to me that it is. But maybe you're seeing something else. I'm open to being wrong. Tell me what I'm missing. So Patty Pimblett was one of the stars of UFC London at an event that was headlined by upcoming heavyweight star Tom Aspinall. The kids on the underground, they've got a thread going on about Tom Aspinwall. By the way, there's no W in his name. It's Tom Aspinall. A W swips in when I say it. No condescension meant there. I want to tell you this, though. The thread about him said he is the most dynamic, skillful heavyweight in a while. Didn't say ever. It said in a while. So let's take a look at that because... You got to understand, Tom's a good-looking heavyweight. Now, when you hear that term, a good-looking heavyweight, I don't mean that that athlete is handsome. Tom's a very handsome guy. But that's not what we're saying when we say good-looking heavyweight. A good-looking heavyweight is when you take one look at him, does he look athletic? It's not just what does he weigh, it's what does he weigh in addition to how he's proportioned. What is his height? How long are his arms? Hey, he's a good-looking heavyweight. He looks like he can move. It's one of these things, and Aspenwall is like 6'5", 250 pounds. That's a big human being, but he's a good-looking heavyweight. 250 isn't the same just on anybody. 
I've never got to 250 myself, but you guys would not look at me and go, he looks like an athlete. Just want it. When you're 6'5", it's a little bit different, but those guys tend to specialize. And they specialize in punching you in the face really hard. That's not what we're seeing from Aspinwall. I am extremely impressed with Aspinall's boxing. I like the way he moves. I like the way he goes to the body. I look. I like the power that he has. But when the house has been on fire twice now, once with Orlovsky and most recently with Volkov, he went to wrestling. That's a skill that we didn't see. And I think that's what the kids on the underground are really paying tribute to. I think Tom came out and surprised them with a skill that not only did they not know he was armed with, that they would expect that he would not be armed with. And that's just territorial speaking. They don't enter or contest the World Olympic Championships in England, not in wrestling. So it's always a surprise when they get a fighter that can come over. It could be Darren Till, it could be Michael Bisping that can deal with wrestling. You could just deal with wrestling good enough. Good enough. Tom's different. He's employing, he's invoking the takedowns. And he's doing all of this while I'm telling you as clear as I know how to speak, this is what he's best at. But he's got these damn good ground skills. I think the reason he beat Orlovsky, and I think the reason he dominated Volkov, because they're just like everybody else. They didn't know he had that. They were not prepared for that. You guys might remember one of the fights that I found most impressive in recent memory, but it was Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gatzel. And those guys can beat each other. Those are two of the best guys in the world. That's between them. One thing that Whitaker cannot do is take down Kelvin Gatzel. That I'm very confident in telling you. But one person that would agree with me was Kelvin Gatzel which is why Kelvin was so caught off guard when Whitaker breaks out these skills. It's a huge advantage. It's one of the arts of war. If you have a weapon that your opponent can't deal with, or if you have a weapon that your opponent does not know about, it's very effective. And the word's now getting out on Tom. Tom's hands that I'm sitting here bragging to you guys about are going to be more effective moving forward. They're going to be more effective with guys out there defensive trying to stop the wrestling. You stop the wrestling, boom. You're right where Tom wants you. Tom comes out, reminds you of some of this power that Chael's over is speaking about, boom. That's what sets up those takedowns. It's very interesting. I like the concept. Now, I'm very happy for all the heavyweights except one, which is Surreal. I have never met Surreal Gun, and Surreal Gun has done nothing to me. I did not cross paths, and he was rude to me. It's nothing like that. I'm upset with him. I have never seen anybody play a hand so poorly. And that is a massive statement because you are filled with the dumbest guys in the room who never get anything right ever. I have a lot to choose from when I'm saying who's played a hand worst and the worst is Surreal Gone. We have done all the work for Surreal. We did such a good job pushing and promoting and elevating him that we got a guy within 15 fights of the inception of his career into a main event, into not only one title fight, but two. We even put a belt around the son bitch. We did that. He has not helped at all. And the only reason I bring to you Surreal is he's got a really great skill set. And again, to go back to the quote from the, the kids on the underground, where they're talking about Tom, and is Tom's got the best skills that we've seen in a while. I don't know how long in a while is, but I do think that Surreal's going to fall into that category if Surreal is brand new too. And Surreal's got some awesome skills. And you talk about a good-looking heavyweight. He's a good-looking heavyweight. He's got that length. He's got that speed. He's got one of those guys at heavyweight that actually has rhythm. Rhythm is something very rare. John Jones is about to introduce it to that division on a level that they've never experienced before. But Surreal's right there. Surreal's hard to hit. Surreal going into the Francis fight had never been taken down. He's hard to hit. He's hard to, he's hard to touch. He's hard to get your hands on. But Surreal doesn't play the game at all at all. 
Everybody likes Sorrell, myself included. This is the first time I'm turning on him, but I can't take it anymore. And I'm not going to do all of the heavy lifting by myself anymore. And by me, I mean, us. Can't just elevate the son bitch. He's got to speak up. He's got to say something. And heavyweight has two divisions. You got the great fighters, then you have the stars. And they are not the same guys. The category of notoriety that the Stipe's, that the John Joneses, that the Francis Ngannou's, that the Surreal Gone, that the Derek Lewis's go into. And now Tai Tuvasa. You've got those guys, and then you got a really hard time producing five more heavyweights signed under contract with the Ultimate Fighting Championship. That's not to say the rest of those guys aren't great, but they can't get onto the docket with the stars. They just can't do it. These stars are separating themselves. They go into a little category, and then they, they, they just play ball amongst themselves. It's really hard to break in. You have to figure out how to infiltrate the popular table. You just do. Surreal is the most susceptible because he has done nothing. He deserves to stay at that table less than anyone else. He has not spoke up. And Aspinwall versus Surreal, I mean, I'm just giving you an example. But if Aspinwall is as good as I think he is and that you guys think he is, he's never going to have a chance to prove it just by getting in the octagon, regardless of placement on a card, including if it's to return to the main event. He must get in with one of the popular kids. He's got to find himself across from one of these six. Now, he's doing his best job, and he called out to Ivasa, and I haven't heard a better idea. But when you are understanding your career and how to manage it and manipulate it, there's guys that you need to get on. I just gave you six names. Now, of those six names, there are some guys you want to stay the hell away from. You do not need to go play with John Jones just because it gets you a seat next to the cool kids. Stay away from him. Everybody else starts to be a little bit more open. Doesn't look like you're going to be able to play ball with Stipe because I think those guys... Or already booked, that's my own opinion. But everybody else is wide open. They're going to do their job, though, which is to say no. They're going to do their job to say he's not well enough known. He's not popular enough. He hasn't proved himself. They're all reasons to get out of doing something they don't want to do while trying to save face. The one guy that's wide open at that cool kid's table that you want to sit out is surreal. And the one guy that doesn't deserve for anything more good to happen to him is surreal. We've already done it. Not one, but two title fights. Biggest heavyweight fight in terms of sheer size, in terms of what's at stake. Both guys got a belt. It's Hogan versus Ward. The greatest story in heavyweight history. We made him part of. He did nothing with it. He dropped that ball. I will maintain for you to this day, Surreal versus Francis is the greatest storyline that any two players have ever been handed. I cannot pull you out the sheets of the numbers and make you believe that. You're going to look at these guys? It did terrible. Yeah, I know it did terrible, but it did terrible for a reason. And he's 50% of that reason. So he's not exactly in the line of favors going to be done to him. He does have a beautiful ranking. He does have a beautiful record. He does have a former championship. So he is going to go into a category. I'm just saying that's the one to break into. Derek Lewis always going to be in high demand. Tai Tuvasa might be the most popular of the bunch. John Jones isn't even licensed. Stipe's pretty clear. I'm taking on John whenever John comes back. I mean, you start to see where the story opens up, but there's one more spot at the cool table that no longer has protection. The rest of them do. Nobody's going to be looking to protect Surreal because Surreal hasn't done anything for anybody else. Aspenwall, there's your opponent. Go after him.
So on most episodes of this podcast, I stick to the UFC and don't get much into Bellator or some of the other promotions around the world that are doing great work like One Championship, which has an amazing event going down this weekend. Guys, this is the one I've been looking forward to. So, One FC, if you guys fought, I used to have to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning on a feed that Front Row Brian would send me so that I could watch Ben Askren fight. The production was through the roof. The funky music had hit. He'd come walking out in some yellow t-shirt, go take somebody down and beat the hell out of him. Two different weight classes. I just had great memories of this. So, One X, so you guys understand what this is. This is the big anniversary event. And it is going to take place all day. Now, I think literally it's like 10 or 12 hours, but this thing is the buffet of MMA. It will all be out there. You take as much as you want. It's one of those situations. You want to watch all 10 hours, good for you. You're going to have a great weekend. You want to cherry pick it, go right ahead. I got to tell you a little bit about them because I don't want you to miss this. So anything that you could do under one roof is going to be done. They're going to put on competitive grappling with the biggest names in the world. They're going to bring in Muay Thai with the world champions. When I tell you the greatest, they're going to put on MMA. They've even got a mixed rules bout. Any formula that you want to do, pick and choose and you're going to enjoy this. But it's something important for me for a number of reasons. Do you guys remember Akiyama? They call him Sexy Yama. I just, I've got an ego and I'm not comfortable saying that. But he's like the best looking man to ever do MMA. I was supposed to fight him at one point. So I always follow his career, and I cannot remember. I think I even had a signed bout agreement. I think we were that far along. Vitor ended up doing the fight, and I remember being there live, and he walked out. It was like, it it, it was some kind of interesting music, but we were told that he was the one that actually sang it, and he was like some kind of a pop star for this type of genre, and he walked out in this fantastic robe, and he looks the whole bit, but I remember this guy. I'd been with this guy for a while because our paths were about to cross. And then he was an Olympic champion on top of that. And I would go into Quest every day and I'm working out with Judo John. And Judo John's telling me, he calls himself Judo John. He's like, this is the guy I look up to. This guy this is the best. He's an Olympic champion. He's a pain in the ass, quite frankly. Vitor had a hard time with him until he was able to get that boxing go, but it was just a range issue. Then you've got Andre Gavo. Well, anywhere Andre goes, I go. Right, it's, it's one of those things. Andre and I were competitors. And I'm sure you guys can relate to this, but when you have a, a competition with somebody, you are now attached to their career, even if it's ever so slight. But I go with him everywhere he goes. Anywhere Andre goes, I'm part of that story. So Andre Galvo, who's the Abu Dhabi absolute champion, which is one of the great grappling matches of all time, and that was not one on skill, that was one on heart. This was, this was like a marathon match. These guys were out there for like 26 minutes and the judges couldn't even figure this out. It was, it was between those two boys. But ultimately, Andre gets his hand raised. So Andre is now going to go back to this year's Abu Dhabi, which is going to be at a sold-out UNLV, and he's going to have the big match with Gordon Ryan. Great. Before you get to that point, the question is, Andre, what in the hell have you been doing? And we don't always know that answer. Abu Dhabi comes around every two years, and we have seen vast differences in the competitors. Just by example, but Mark Kerr was king of the world in 2001. By 2003, didn't even look like the same guy. Uh, two years is a lot of time. It all, it's all a question of what are you doing in those two years. So the fact that Andre is now signed with 1FC is very relevant to Andre's future versus Gordon Ryan. Andre's talking about he wants to get into MMA. Andre has done MMA. He even fought 
Tyron Woodley at one point, down at 170 pounds, said, I've had enough of MMA moves over to grappling, but now he's going to 1FC. And the big question is, is he dipping his toe in the 1FC grappling pool so that he can project himself into the MMA? That's what a lot of people are looking at this fight for, but I'm not. I, I'm just fine with Andre doing what Andre does best, which is grappling. I just need to know that he's in shape and taking it serious and hasn't been sitting on his ass for two years just to go collect a paycheck against Gordon Ryan later in the summer. So the mere fact that Andre is going to go put it on the line in 1FC in a pure grappling match, it's it's a huge precursor to what's going to happen down the way, and we are going to judge him purely. Two years is a period of time. It's worked out very nicely for some people, and I'm not looking to put down Mark Kerr, but in all fairness, between 2001 and 2003, we could see that Mark Kerr quit training. And he only showed up to Abu Dhabi against Mario Sperry because of the paycheck. That's all right. The question is, is that what Andre's doing? Now, you want to talk about nice guys. I think if you were to have a poll amongst the boys, a poll in the locker room, who's the most popular kid in class? I do not imagine that anybody's going to beat Henzo Gracie. Everybody loves Henzo. That's you guys, that's the fellow competitors, whether you're fighting him or you got beat up by, everybody likes Henzo. He's just that guy. But you want to know who could go toe-to-toe for just a nice, kind person that happens to be in the tough guy business? John Wayne Parr. Possibly the most pleasant person I've ever interacted with. Definitely number one in the world of social media. John Wayne Parr, who's been at this forever, is a fan. He's just a little kid inside. He wanted to make it to the big time. He wants to show off in front of the cameras. He wants to go and test his skills that he worked hard on. But he's just a fan inside. It's hard for him. I've been backstage with Parr where people are pointing, oh my gosh, that's John Wayne Parr. But then Parr will meet you and he'll want your autograph. He'll want your photo. He's just like this really sweet guy. And the mere fact that he can keep going, it's a major Randy Couture or Brett Favre or who's this quarterback, this quarterback that's doing it, uh, that that just made us come back. He's married to the real Brady. It's just like that. Like these guys that can find a way to extend their career, there's something there that we can all run with, that we can all be part of. Now, I want to talk to you guys about Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson beat up 12 men in a row at probably, probably the hardest weight class in the sport, which is 125 pounds. Opposite to perception is reality when it comes to MMA. Perception is bigger is better. We all know that. We can all still remember the early UFCs where they had tournaments called David versus Goliath. And you'd put a 400-pound man in there with a 190-pound man. And we all knew the 400-pound man was going to squash. He's just going to go sit on. Remember people would say stupid stuff like that? I could beat you. I could just sit on you. It's just one of these weird things. But if you know nothing about fighting and you've never seen it before, you actually believe that's true. You actually believe I better be nicer to this big guy. But remember when that was a real thing? I tie this in because I I, I don't want you guys to miss the concept of how hard this weight class that Demetrius was at. You go back and you look at those video game finishes he had. You take about the time that he picks up Ray Borg, returns him to the mat, oh, by the way, is spinning into an arm bar while completely exhausted and already put in 20 minutes of work. Absolutely remarkable. He goes over to 1FC. He doesn't get the same results. Why? Why? We couldn't be sure, but we could take guesses. 
one of the guesses is because the pool over at 1FC is so goddamn hard. That's one of the guesses, sure. I will maintain for you, just as a guy that had experiences in different organizations, your first time out is your first time out. It does not matter if you've had 20 fights. If you go over to a different organization, you're starting over. It's just different. It's a different feel. It's a different energy. The music on the speakers is different. The people that you see beforehand is different. Even though you're doing the same sport, that's an excuse by me, by the way. That's not a reality. You've got to be bigger than that. You've got to be better than that. I don't want to admit the jitters in the way that you feel. I don't want to admit that. I want to be looked at as a professional that can go do anything. But I will tell you what, I fought in boxing rings and I fought in cages. I've gone in wrestling mats that have no barrier for exit. And you'll go off into the bleachers if you drive the guy hard enough. It will change your strategy. It will change the way you move around. Fighters at every event, one thing that you guys don't see before they go on camera, every single athlete will go to the apparatus. If that's the ring, if that's the mat, if that's the cage, they will go to it when they get there and they will walk that thing. They will smell it. They will stomp around for where the framing's at. They will rub their feet on it to test the canvas. Some canvases go on a tarp, some go on a very rough surface, but you need to know this ahead of time. So when I come at you excuse-making, sure I am, but telling you there's a difference when you go other places, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was multiple factors. I can tell you one thing it was not as it pertained to Demetrius uh, Johnson and his results. It was not his preparation. Demetrius has the same great coach in Matt Hume. He's at the same wonderful gym as AMC. He has never left. He's right up the road four hours from me in Seattle. Now, I got to sit in on Demetrius one day. I got to sit in on his training as he's getting ready to take on Rod Tang. And it was just by Zoom. I was talking to Coach Matt Hume. He turned around. I got to watch some of Demetrius. But if you guys don't know what's going on here, this is a mixed rules fight. What does that mean? What that means is Rod Tang who is the reigning Muay Thai champion of the world, is going to come over and take on Demetrius, but they're going to alternate rounds. In the first round, it's straight Muay Thai. In the second round, it's MMA. In the third round, it's back to Muay Thai. Fourth round, I'm sure you guys can guess. This changes everything. You change one ingredient, you just changed what we're doing here. If I go put you guys on the basketball court, and I got LeBron James over here, and I got Michael Jordan over here, and you're placing all your bets. And then I go, oh, by the way, they're playing with a football. You're going, wait, wait a minute. You just changed everything. Yes, I agree. I admit to that. They're changing everything. So now you come into a survival question. Can Demetrius Johnson, first off, compete with Raw Tang in stand-up fighting? That's your very first question. But once you get around that, the question becomes, can he survive? What if he doesn't want to compete with him? What if Demetrius isn't as fast? What if he doesn't have the setups? What if he doesn't have the combination? What if that's what he believes going into it? Great, he still can win. He just got to go into survival mode. Can he survive? Is there anywhere to hide? Is there anywhere to move? This has been tested before, but very rarely. There was a grappling match. You see, you guys, you, you must appreciate this because you must appreciate the history of this sport and why it started. This sport started in 1993 with one goal, which is to find out which art was the most dominant. What we found out by the, by the turn of the century is those arts to and of themselves are gone. The Bruce Lee philosophy of steal something from everybody and when the time is right, use whatever in the hell works, won the day. But somewhere along the way, there was an organization called Metamorris. And when I tell you this was tested, Brennan Schaub, who's a very good friend and full disclosure and a training partner of mine, had what's called a purple belt. He took on Cyborg. 
This was the mismatch of a century, but Brendan had balls, walked out there, and Brendan left with a purple belt and a draw. How did he do that? He survived. He had a strategy. It wasn't a great look for jujitsu. And I remember people in the arena live, I happened to be there, I remember people booing Brendan and it insulted me so much. Brendan followed the rules on the apparatus against the opponent at, at the agreed upon time. That's it. He did not have to go for arm bars and heel hook. He didn't have to do anything else. He did everything that he set out to do. It was a knock on jujitsu because jujitsu, when tested against the strategy of Brendan Schaub, did not have an answer. And I push back as a wrestler. I'll take on anybody in wrestling. And you can do anything you want to stop this. I will run your ass down and I will put a bunch of points on the board, period. And anyone that wants to question, I'll do it. I'll prove it. Step forward. Is that true for other arts? It's a big question, guys. It goes back to 1993, trying to solve questions like this. If Demetrius can't go fist-to-cuffs, toe-to-toe with Raw Tang, can he survive? Can he stay away? Can he get the referee between them? Can he circle enough? Can he use footwork? Here's the problem. I watched him train. I happen to know Demetrius' strategy. I share with Demetrius and Matt Hume, do not show me anything if this is a secret. I got a big mouth and I do a lot of talking. They said we know. Now, I'm only bringing that to you because Demetrius is going to go in and test this. Like every other badass out there, he's not going to flinch. He is not even thinking the word survive, and if you say it, you're going to be insulting him. He's going after Rod Tang. That's the answer. Is that going to work or is that not? Inside of the first five minutes, that between those boys. But it is going to be a mess. And you guys, if you follow me on social media, know I called Henry Cejudo. Henry Cejudo's a coach now, but of course, he's been as many minutes inside of the octagon as anybody with Demetrius that isn't named Big John McCarthy. And I just said, can he do it? Is Demetrius fast enough? Does he understand slipping? He's going to have the littler gloves on. He's going to have a, a, a big striker who's predominantly dangerous. I think Rotang is more dangerous with kicks and knees. That's a personal opinion. I don't know that you have to worry about the hands as much. I think Ray Borg's a fantastic boxer. I think, and I know this is blasphemy, I think Ray Borg's as good of a boxer as Rotang. I would not say that when it comes to overall Muay Thai, where you get to use every limb. You get to use your shins, you get both knees, you get the use of your elbow, and of course you get to use the hands. It's a mess. It's a mess. But I just called Henry, and I just asked, and I didn't say, can he beat him? I said, can he, can he go with him? Can Demetrius go with him, even if he loses? Even if he loses on a 10-9 must system, can he go with him, and can he still be standing when the second round and MMA now comes into it? Henry said, you bet he can. He said, you bet he can. And Henry broke it down just a little bit further. His coach's hat came on. He talked about some of the strategies, but he praised the speed of Demetrius Johnson. And if you go do look, those 12 victories in a row by DJ versus the opposite outcome he got in one, it wasn't because of the preparation once again. It had to do with the strategy. Demetrius doesn't know survival mode. There's times where it'd be better if he did, but he doesn't. And there's never been a champion to stand before you thinking about ways they can go into combat and cower that they can hide. It's just not a champion's mindset. There's a fine line between genius and insanity, but you can't get to that point if you got that scared guy in you and you're going into training camp every day and now you're surrounded by coaches and teammates that are saying, golly gee, you just got to get through the first five minutes. You just can't do that. 
It can't be that way. Then you have the risk factor. You have the factor of what happens if Demetrius was to go out and was to employ this on Rotting. That's where you start to get hungry. That's where you start getting these guys that start pulling upsets. Muay Thai has come over to MMA, and it hasn't had the warmest of receptions. But it's not because Muay Thai doesn't work. As a matter of fact, we've never had an MMA champion that does not put a vast emphasis in the training room on Muay Thai. We know the knees, the shins, the elbows, and the hands. This is your entire body that's allowed because we barred the headbutt. The problem comes in when the Muay Thai guy is worried of a takedown. And it's not just being taken down. It is the threat of the takedown. It was the worry of the what if, if I step in, if I engage. Every time I come to kick him, I'm now standing on one foot. Every time I extend to attack him, my hips are open and what I'm going to use for defense is now on the offense. It's one of these things. It's a very weird game. It's a very weird battle. You get the Marie Smiths of the world. You get the Marco Huazes, the Don Fries, and now the Izzy Adesanyas that have both, that don't care. Go ahead and take me down. I'm coming at you with everything. That's a, a totally different recipe. And now when you have Rontang, who not only is going to have that, he's going to have five minutes in his world. It's very fascinating, cuz. I could go round and around on what this is. And when I tell you guys this is an all-day event, I wasn't joking when I said I think it's scheduled for 10 hours. It might be 12. All right, nobody knows if there's going to be finishes, if there's going to knock us. This is going to be a whole-day event. And the Guinness Book of World Records actually covers this topic. I don't know if 1FC and Chachri are aware of that or if they're going for that, but this isn't a brand new phenomenon. I can remember when Dana White, who was doing six events a year and matured to 12, told the world that he was going to do one a week. And he did it on three different networks that I saw and all three networks pushed back and told him that's too much MMA. And Dana had to handle it on the first one. He had to dance around it on the second one. And the third one, he shoved it right down their throat and said, do you think there's too much football? And they said no. And no one ever asked Dana that question again. Now, as you look to WrestleMania that's coming up, quick shout out to Lesnar and Stone Cold Steve Austin, just by example, they're doing a two-day event. Vince McMahon is going to a two-day back-to-back event. I dealt with a small-time wrestler promoter here in Oregon, and he had many different de- uh, uh, goals that he had, many different venues that he wanted to play. He wanted to do a coal miners club match. He wanted a triple-way tag team. Many different goals that he had, but one of the goals that he had, he's the one that brought this to my attention that the Guinness Book of World Records covers this, was he wanted to do a four-day wrestling event with no break. Four days straight, no intermission. Is that 96 hours straight? And that would get him in the Guinness Book of World of Records. And he attempted to do it and everybody got tired and they went home. It was like the guy making the popcorn got too tired. The, the people doing security, it didn't work. He had the venue, he had the athletes, he was going for it. The Guinness Book carries this. And I'm telling you, Chachery and 1FC, if they can pull this off, they are going to set some kind of a record that is going to be recognized somewhere. For you guys, the fight fans, go enjoy Take what you want. Eat till you're full. Be back next week. I'm going to tell you all about it. To close out today's show, let's turn the attention back to the UFC and the big heavyweight main event going down this weekend in Columbus, Ohio. All right, my official prediction. 
Curtis Blade taking on Dawkins. Now, guys, there's there's some inside baseball here that I've never shared with you guys, and I never shared it because nobody else did. And the fact that nobody did told me that was probably private. But in all fairness, I was not told this in confidence, and I don't see why I can't bring it to you. It's old news anyway. Curtis Blade's got cut. Curtis Blade's no longer with the UFC, just so you understand this. Now, I'm going back in time. This is after Curtis falls down against Derek Lewis. He gets his walking papers, and he was gone. He got shopped on the open market. It was done very quietly. He had a big, beautiful offer, and he made one phone call. It was a Hail Mary pass back to the organization. He didn't say you need to match it. He said, guys, I'll walk away from this. I'll come back to my old contract, but this is where I want to be now. People were receptive to that. That meant a lot. Okay, we got a top guy in the world who's young, who's good looking, who will take on anybody. And now it turns out the one thing we didn't know, this is where he wants to be. And they open the doors back up to him. I think that's a sweet story. And I don't know why that remains so quiet. I think there's some embarrassment with anything when you get released. I can understand that. But I also think that it's kind of a feel-good story, and I just wanted to share that with you guys, because Curtis Blades coming off of being released and coming off of a loss is returning to a main event. And quite frankly, it's where he belongs. Curtis Blades checks a lot of boxes. He just happens to be a bit of a dum-dum. So what? He happens to open his mouth and he doesn't further his own career. Curtis Blades has been on record saying, I do not care if anybody watches me fight. <laughs> it's a tough spot, but he's a young guy. Give him a little bit of a break, right? And he doesn't have an advocate like me. Curtis Blades has never reached out to me. He's never thanked me. He's never given me like, like the private elbow on Twitter and given me the, you know, the thumbs up or something. Like Curtis and I aren't boys. I just know what I'm observing. Yes, he's a former wrestler, so he gets my attention, but he's a guy that's full of courage, that is hungry within a sport, and he wants to go get his due. The mere fact that Curtis was offered more money in a different organization, was eligible to take it and turn it down because this is where he wants to be, I think that's cool. I do. I want to see a guy that's here, that wants to be here. If you got to dangle a big carrot, they're going to constantly negotiate. They're just some whore that's out there for the money, right? I mean, it comes back to the old joke. Guy walks up to a woman at a bar, says, woman, would you come home with me for a dollar? No, he, sa he says, will you come home with me for a million dollars? And she says, well, of course I would. And he says, well, will you come home for me with one dollar? And she says, I'm not a whore. And he says, ma'am, we've already established what you are. We're just negotiating price. There's a lot of truth in that. I don't need to see these five. I'm making more money than anybody. I don't give a goddamn what you made. You're getting called three times a year to work. None of you deserve to have a bunch of money. It's a game which equates back to children. And if you can do it as an adult, you're lucky. Period. You're in a really fortunate group. And if you don't see it that way, tell your story somewhere else. I'm not hearing it. That's for me. That's very personal to me. I get to like what I like. You guys can understand that. You guys know I like the NCAA. You know I like the Olympic Games. But it's also because I know what I'm watching. What I'm watching is people that want to be there because they have a goal. That's personal to me. But the mere fact that Curtis has this story. Now, Cur Curtis doesn't use anything. Curtis is a main event Saturday. The only person talking about it is me. Curtis has told absolutely nobody. This is in line with Curtis Blades. And frankly, Dockless gets the same bonk of the head. These guys have done a terrible job of marketing their contest. But I do think everything Curtis does, I know if it were me, I would get it out there. If I had a sparring session today, if I pushed the bench press up today, I would have somebody document it and I would get it to you guys, either through Twitter or social media, Instagram, something along these lines. That's what I would do. I think that Curtis has one hell of a story to tell. I think the fact that Curtis shared the octagon not once but twice with Francis Ngannou. 
I think the fact that when Daniel Cormier was the sitting of the champion of the world, he did interviews discussing Curtis Blades because he saw that train coming down the tracks. I think these are all things that Curtis should have used. But I do not think that it's an embarrassment that he was released from the organization. I think it is a major badge of honor that he passed up on the money because this is his goal and his dream, and it was unique to three little letters, UFC. I think that's a cool thing. I don't think he should hide from it. I think you guys should know it. I don't think a fight can matter to the audience if it doesn't matter to the athlete. So I don't tell that story to reveal. So I wasn't told that in confidence, but it's a very true story. And I certainly don't say it to embarrass Curtis. I say it as Curtis's advocate to get more people on. Now you know what it what means to him. You know how much this means to him. He's being given his opportunity. He's being put in a high-profile fight on the worldwide leader. I also see, when I see Curtis, a guy routinely getting better. And you have to watch him to know that. If you go to SureDog and you look up his record and you stare at it on paper, you're not going to see it. You have to watch him. His record goes up and down. I get that. But he's in there with absolutely anybody, anytime they want to do it, in any way you want to do it. And in this sport, you got two. You can do it for three rounds or you can do it for five. Curtis says yes, and he deserves credit for that. When I look at Curtis, I'm taking Curtis. I believe that Dawkins is a top 10 guy, and I believe Dawkins, much like Aspinwall, as I brought to you guys a year ago, are the future of this organization within the heavyweight class. Here's the problem. How do you respond to defeat? Everybody's got to answer this question at some point. And you find out who you are. They say that adversity creates character. Other people side with me that adversity reveals character. It's a tough spot. And I am not saying that Dawkins cannot bounce back. But I will tell you there are some guys, Derek Lewis would be a fine example since he's the common opponent that both of these guys fell down to. The one time you don't want to fight Derek is right after he lost. And that you can find out just by looking at SureDog. You do not want to be in there with Derek Lewis when he's coming off a loss. That's a reality. How's Dawkins going to respond? Not to mention he's returning to a main event. Now, Dawkins is a brawler who's a really good athlete, right? All a diamond is is a piece of coal that withstood the pressures of time. How does a defeat do with it? Is that something you can use as a springboard? Springboard, is it a motivation? And a defeat is one thing. Being defeated by knockout is different for a fighter. I've never gone through it. I can't tell you firsthand I've never been knocked out. But I have observed this in both the sport of boxing and MMA, and it makes guys timid. Their chins do not get worse with time, as people love to tell you. Once a fighter's knocked out once, he'll be knocked out a second time. That part's true, but it's not true for the reasons that many tell you. It's not that their chin gets worse. And then you get some science guy who's going to tell you about the swelling. You've got this notch right here between here and here and the swelling of the brain. It adds over. To, it's none of those things. What happens is he's too scared to throw. He's timid, thinking if I extend, every time you extend and go for offense, you're open. These are your two weapons. If you're using them for offense, you don't have them for defense. It's real simple. And once you fall down one time, you get too timid to ever open up. That is exactly what happens from a physical stality standpoint. It's not the swelling on the brain and the nerve between your jaw. Shut up. And I don't know how Dawkins is going to respond. I'm not counting him out. I'm very open to it. The one thing that I am sharing with Curtis is every time I've seen him fight, win or lose, he gets better. A lot of people are very negative on Curtis. I think I'm going to change your mind. 
I think that story that I told, his management's going to wish I didn't, but that's because his management is smart enough to know that, no, that's a very endearing story. A guy took less money for the opportunity that he dreamed of from Jump Street. I think that's very meaningful. It speaks to how much this matters to Curtis. And Curtis does hear what you guys say about him. He was branded by you, the audience, as boring. Now, I'm going back three or four years, but that was the knock on him. He was a great big guy. He was a college wrestling champion. He's going to go out and take these other guys down. There's not a very, very high representation in the organization right now by wrestlers. If you want to go look at pure resumes as it pertains to wrestling in the absence of Daniel Cormier, who isn't coming back, Curtis Blades might be number one. But it's not always the most pleasant style, and Curtis heard you guys say it, so he went out and he did some kickboxing. I mean, it's just the truth. He's been in the fights. He's mixing it up. You can watch the Bulkow fight. Sure, he did a lot of wrestling, but he set that wrestling up the same way every time. He was punching and kicking away and getting those reps in, then he got a little bit nervous and clenched him and took him down, but you're still seeing a progression. It's the same thing that got him in trouble when he took on Angano. It's the same thing that ultimately made him uh, lose uh, to Derek Lewis, but he was trying. He was trying to get better. He was trying to expand himself. He was learning on the job. I'm giving you a lot of info on Curtis there. I am not turning my nose up at Dawkins. He's got a major opportunity, but I will share with you going into this. Is Dawkins like Derek Lewis, where the worst time to face him is when the chips are down? Is he? Maybe. Or does he start to question himself like so many fighters before him? Is he going to be gun-shy? Is he going to be apprehensive? When fighters get knocked out, you only have two options, guys. Offense, defense. There's no other question. You guys ever see when George St. Pierre fights and Faross is in his corner and Faross is mic'd up? Faross won't say offense, defense. He'll say to George, are you being reactive or are you being proactive? He will let George choose what he's going to do the next down. Is he going to go after the guy or is he going to protect himself from the guy? Faross will ask George one question. It's the only take that George gets to have. Faross, as the expert here, is going to ask you one question. Are we going on the offense or are we going on the defense? He just uses the words proactive and reactive. He will let George tell him and then he will lay out the game plan. It's very relevant because those are your only two options. And I don't know what Dawkins is going to do. He's being tested. Everybody gets tested every time they fight. Your test is something different. It always is, isn't always 10-9 under the unified rules. I encourage you guys all the time, be nice to everybody that you ever meet in life because everybody has a fight that you know nothing about. This happens to be Dawkins' fight. It's not 10-9 under the unified rules against Curtis Blades. Can he let yesterday go and move on to today? That's the big question. I have seen progressions by Curtis. I now know in light of actually being tested with actual money and actual contracts that this is where he wants to be. That's powerful. It's an intangible. It's not all about the punches and the kicks. That's where heart and grit and desire comes in. I'm picking Curtis Blades. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review for the show, and if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel to get more from me. Speaking of which, I'll be back right here next Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. 
spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.